So welcome back to another episode of Putting the Pieces Together with Jigsaw Learning. I'm here today with my colleague, Amber Hester, who is a lead learner with Jigsaw Learning and brings to the table vast experience over a number of years in both Alberta and Saskatchewan from the classroom teacher level, vice principal, principal, assistant superintendency. And as of late, she's been doing a lot of work with our First Nations partners and developing uh, processes and structures to help them envision how collaborative response can occur in their environments, as well as building up team dynamics. So hi, Amber. Hey, Jen, how's it going? Not bad. So I won't forget to mention that your most important role in all of this, Amber, that I know you hold dear to your heart is your role as mom. <laughs> that is very true. I think that that role is, uh, has had a definite impact on all of us who are parents. It changes our perspectives about the student experience at all different levels. So uh, yes, most proud of, uh, of that role and always will be. So uh, you mentioned a few of the other, other areas, but I think it's really important to remember that we all have a core, which is our, our family, and, and that we all start somewhere, which is in, in the classroom. Right now, you've been busy working with partners navigating these uncertain times. So what are some of the themes that you're hearing out there in the work that you have been doing? Well, you bring up a good point. It doesn't matter what uh, position I've held in leadership. Um, to me, it's always been extremely important that we have really solid core purpose, direction, effective teamwork, and those elements that help us do the work together. It's impossible for, for leaders to attend to all that they need to do on their own and to make sure that they surround themselves with good people and have teams that are that are not just meeting to meet, but really high functioning teams where the work is the passion and the passion drives the work. So it's kind of a, a nice combination, that relationship, but at the same time, that doesn't happen without intentionality. So in my, in my roles, um, it's really been important to really focus on some of those foundational statements in team. I know that's what we're gonna be talking about a bit today, as of late, I think right now, I'm finding that most of my work is landing with our partners in coaching conversations and planning sessions. There is so much unknown and uncertainty. Um, my heart goes out and I truly empathize with all of the leaders at the district level, system level, our, our boards, um, you've got chief and council boards and, and system leaders, you've got principal leadership teams, um, they're all trying to do the very best they can. And sometimes they just um, have needed a little support in different areas. So my my role of, is a lot of times helping them with how I can support them to arrive at the places they need to be. That additional outside perspective or lens is just sometimes another, another person that can ask some crucial questions and some coaching. So... The themes that I am seeing, Jennifer, are around safety, obviously. That's number one. And all of the reentry planning that's taking place, having that at the, at the front of everybody's priority to keep the, the students, staff, the community safe, their, their elders. Um, you know, there's a lot of planning and attention to safety. But that reentry planning is really consuming our leaders. It's derailed them from their day-to-day. -day. It has... Um, created a new reality of startup like never before. A lot of them are planning for three different scenarios and not having any real concrete 
um, place to land as far as where to start with that that planning. Through the support, I guess, I've also been seeing things around communication, that consistent communication and shared understanding of what is actually happening and where are we going now in this new reality, even for the short term. Behind that, I see another theme around just concerns, concerns around wellness, family support, the realities of what's happening with students and families, the, the learning agenda having moved into the home, into the home. So staff wellness has become a big theme as well. And, you know, they're all still trying to create plans, move everything forward, all the mandates, initiatives and directions, but it just looks so differently and they're planning differently for it. I know that one of the things that they've appreciated about you during this time aside from your willingness to just be available for a conversation, it really is the the way that you approach some of those leadership problems. I mean, you have your own experiences and you bring with it an empathy that comes across as great wisdom. So what might you say are some of those foundations that have built up that leadership wisdom for you? Mm-hmm. never really thought of myself as having great wisdom I think we have lived experiences that um, are usually are a result of failing forward. So um, I guess on my leadership journey and um, the work that I've had, the number one thing for me is teams. I, I really honestly believe that in whichever position, whether in the classroom working with collaborative teams or you're working with a, you know, as a principal with your staff teams, district with your district office teams or department teams, Having good people around you and really having um, the ability to identify their skills, how they complement each other, making sure that you've got that diverse perspective. Uh, for me, I've always valued that, that component of team because when you put a lot of people in, in a room as a leader and you just get out of their way, great things are accomplished. The creativity that comes and the synergy that comes um, is fantastic. But having said that, that doesn't happen if they don't have clarity, clarity about why they're there, where they're going, what they want to accomplish together. Um, and they commit to a, a whole variety of attitudes, actions, and behaviors that drive that team forward. So without that team, um, there's sometimes dissonance or disagreement or um, misunderstanding about where things are actually going. So I guess if I had a, a few nuggets of, I would hate to say wisdom, but experience, it would be around building up people and empowering people. Because with that, you can get a lot accomplished no matter where you are in the educational system. I know from being a part of the team that you have built up that those foundational statements um, really are how we describe who we are. But when we talk about foundational statements to the person outside of our team, what do we really mean by them? Well, I think this is where there's lots of, uh, there's lots of different opinions and lots of different research on what those foundational statements are. So in, traditionally, it is that mission, vision, values, and goals, right? They're the things that you... You do as a, as a group, maybe once every three or four years, and you put it on a plaque and hang it up in your school, and you, you share what your shared purpose is together with your community. You see them um, 
uh, stone walls, but letterheads and tent cards and, and the things that are supposed to remind us, you know, about what makes us unique in a certain environment and why we're here. So that is, that's still basically true. It's just from my perspective, um, I've had to change that thinking a little bit and move it to a place of functionality. Because I think what I found is that foundational statements in their traditional sense are very rigid and they don't allow you to be able to revisit them. There's not the ability to be able to adjust as, as our realities adjust, as mandates adjust. So for me, the foundational statements are still those, those core elements. Why are we here? What do we hope to accomplish? And how do we have to act and behave what values do we we commit to together and want to uphold in the work that we do in the environment that we're in? And, and how do we commit to each other to make sure that that's actually moving forward? So those pieces are still those basic foundational statements. But where I, I deviate a little bit is that I think that there's sometimes a misunderstanding between what mission and vision are. And if you completely and think and you think consistently about mission and vision re revisions and we as staffs have been through them many many times and a lot of times you think oh when is this going to end um, because we have to go through this again well what I found is that if you if you can think about those as purpose and function you know, mission vision purpose function here we are in a space we still have to clearly define why we're here and what we're doing together and what we hope to accomplish so I really do believe that um the foundational statements aren't something that need to be done and finalized and framed. I, I think they should be on Google Docs and changed every year and sometimes maybe partway through the year in a year like this where there's COVID, I think we need to come back and say, okay, what's our core purpose now? What are our short-term immediate goals now? Our vision, our, things have changed, our direction has changed and, it, and, and people still need to be really clear on what you're trying to accomplish as a group in a new reality. So I guess the, the big thing for me is that they're changed, they're changeable, they're revisitable. <laughs> they're those things that you actually can come back to and say, you know what, different reality, let's have a look. Are we still, are we still trying to accomplish the same thing together? So I guess for me, those foundational statements are more than just statements. They, they become living documents that are revisited on a consistent basis with you and your, as a leader and your team. And they, they, they drive and focus you on, on what you're trying to do as, as a team. And you talked about, you know, the, the need to come back and revisit them and the changes in context. And I know you've spoken of the mandates and the, the, the situations, COVID-19 being one of them, but, other things that I've heard you speak of in that area include, you know, staff turnover and, you know, even just coming back and reimagining them each year to to fire up those those team dynamics and bring everybody back to the same page. So how do you see those statements influencing the dynamics of teams? Well, I think that, um, you know, you mentioned a couple areas there. Anytime you've got a new leader or you have a large turnover with staff or you have no turnover with staff and things aren't revisited for a long period of time, people just be kind, kind of assume that, you know, we're all teachers, we're all 
leaders were all at this school or in this location together. So the assumption is that we know why we're there. And sometimes that assumption is correct and sometimes it is um, is not. And you often see that in when it's not where there's kind of an incongruence and it impacts the culture and climate of the team and the productivity of the team. So in the collaborative response with the collaborative team meetings, you, you know, we have to talk about that norming process and the ability to have collective norms in a team meeting setting. So if those team meetings, just as an example, if those team meetings aren't working well and you have teachers who don't want to share their data, they don't feel like they want to partner on interventions, they, they maybe don't even want to show up to the team meeting, but it's a mandatory part of the job, that speaks to me to something larger. It's, it's not the norms that need to be attended to, it's the culture of the school or the culture of the team. And that culture allows you to come back and say, okay, well, does everybody have a shared understanding of why we're here? So I've worked with a lot of schools that when they've been having trouble with those team meetings and, and, and people not feeling like they're actually a part of the team for whatever reason, and even though they have norms, if we come back and we look at the foundational statements, what it does is it gets to the core of why am I in this building? And what am I here to do for kids? What makes an elementary school different than a middle school? A district office inclusive team different than a learning services team because we all work in education. So our why is basically the same, but it's really, really not. When you when you dig deep, your why is is very different. And until we actually take the time to ask people, why do you think you're in this space? You know, why why did you choose to come to this? high school or to this department, you know, what is what makes us different and unique? Those are the areas that start to help you realize that, okay, well, maybe I didn't have everybody who had the same understanding. And with that disjointed understanding of what we're trying to accomplish and where we're going together, then you see disjointed teaming. So that connection to me is, is really important that if a team doesn't necessarily um, gel for whatever reason, you see, silos or or avoidance you know, there's a lot of different characteristics sometimes it's just because nobody has really uh, taken the opportunity for them to share their why and to hear everybody's why you know because that you know Simon Sinek often start with why his work has been in my brain for a long time because we often move to the how and the what and like we are getter done people, we are, you know, we're always focused on getting that list accomplished and getting things done for students and, and for organizations and for communities. And, and yet sometimes we just need to come back to that, to that why. So the impact on team for me is if you get that clarity right out of the gate and you really have an opportunity to discuss that mission and vision or purpose and function, whatever you want to call it, um, you can get to a place where people have a shared understanding of what they're doing in that space together. And that's kind of where I start to with some of the teaming, Jennifer, is I talk about the difference between that mission and vision because they're very confusing sometimes together. So, you know, that mission statement is that foundation of answering, why are we here? What, are, what is our core purpose? And it is a short statement usually that informs what people are doing in that space. And it's very factual. It's that elevator pitch where you can say, oh, I work at this, this school, this office, this team, and this is what we do. And you could say it in a very short amount of time and people will go, oh, I get it. That's what you do. Where the vision 
vision statements are often very um, aspirational and inspirational. They talk about what you hope to become in your department, at your school, what you want to do for kids or your community. And it's a, it is a long-term vision, paints that picture of, you know, where are we going? And usually it, this is driven from the heart. When I work with teams, this is driven from that place of, you know, if if you could get rid of all of the issues here, what would you, what would it look like? And I hate to, you know, operate, operate from a place of negativity, but sometimes people say, well, I don't know what our vision would be as well as everything that's not working well. Well, there's usually a laundry list of things that maybe aren't working well on a team or at a place or at a, in a location. So I, I try to get people to think about what would it look like if, if those issues weren't there. And they're huge, they're aspirational, and it's really interesting to hear what people put. So the mission and vision um, I see are needing to be clarified a lot of time, purpose and function, um, you know, allow, allowing people to know that that mission is short and concise. And I say with a vision statement, if it takes you 12 bullets to say what you want to become and where you're going and clearly articulate that, have 12 bullets. Otherwise, you end up trying to create a vision statement and the vision statement then starts to look like a mission statement and they get all messed up. You were talking, Amber, and as you were speaking, it made me think about the notion of layering teams. And so the idea that, you know, this team or department over here has its culture and its mission and vision, and this team over here has theirs, and this team over here has theirs. But when we come together as the bigger team, the the school team or the district team, how in your experience would you, would you take all of that and bring it to a, a a larger organization mission vision. Yeah. Well, and it sometimes works both ways, right? Like you'll have you'll have schools or departments create a mission and vision for their area, but there's also one for the district or the government um, or chief of council board have have required certain things. So those become components that are required in the in 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 the structure of the the mission and vision of the organization. So it's really important to not deviate. Um, there, there is a definite layering that takes place. Uh, when we go through this process, it doesn't matter which layer I'm working with, we go through the process and we have them, the participants, talk about their why individually. And then we cross-reference that, come up with some shared statements about the department, you know, that's where we talked about, let's say, inclusive learning services versus learning services versus human resources. Their why is a little bit different. So, but once they get an agreement on, on their school or their department, then we come back and cross-reference the, the required mandates and the visions of the system. Because it has to be, you can't be rogue, you can't be incongruent, it has to be together where you can see, okay, if this district has a statement about how they embrace learning for all students, that must be in every statement all the way from the beginning of the, the board all the way down to the classroom. You can't say, well, you know, we're only here for a certain segment of a population or we're only here for, um, you know, a, a certain demographic. Like, it's, it's really interesting to see that alignment, and sometimes it's a great opportunity because sometimes our, our different groups aren't aware of what the overarching mission and vision are of the organization in which they work. 
So we do, we go through each area um, and we ensure that, that that languaging is there. And then we cross-reference what, you know, what is, what are they saying from a provincial or a mandate level? Because you can't get away from that either. You know, um, we have lots of different mandates and I'll use, for example, safe, caring and welcoming schools. You know, that was a mandate and that became a really infused, embedded part when that came out of people's mission statements. And the same thing in departments and the same thing at the school level. But if the wording was there at the system level, but not at the school level, then that incongruence doesn't, doesn't work, right? It doesn't match. And so the layering of, of those expectations and statements um, are cross-referenced and then they're embedded. They don't always look exactly the same because every place is unique, but there's some through lines that, that we ensure are there when we go through that particular process. Reflecting on the last few months in this realm of education, this uncharacteristic situation we found ourselves in, and teams have had to reimagine themselves and how they're going to work. As we focus on reentry, do you have any suggestions for how school leaders or district leaders might approach those team dynamics? Well, I think one of the key elements that's often missing from the foundational statement process is the values and commitments component. So when we when we talk about the values and commitments that are there, when people determine why they're there and what they're doing together, I think those values and commitments um, are the things right now that might be changing in, in the new reality. I think that people are valuing some things that are maybe a little bit different than they did before. Um, the requirement to pause and stop and look at look at life from a safety and wellness perspective is is new. So it's always been there, but it's never been in our face like it is right now. So I think when when we look at some of those those elements that could be in, included and revisited, People's why may have changed a little bit. You know, they're still there for kids. They still got a mandate. They're, that's all there. Where they're going definitely would be changing, you know, that vision or, or direction statement because in the short term, there could be three paths. It could be a whole variety. But having making sure everybody's on the same page because that clarity reduces the ambiguity and the re ambiguity being reduced helps our staffs have less stress and worry and wonder about, okay, what is... What's being expected of us and where are we going even in the short term? But I do think that the values and the commitments to the team, I've had a few conversations with principals around what to expect when staff come back in the fall and, and they're really worried about the wellness component. Well, if wellness has not been a value or valued and the specific components of it and, and people don't have commitments that are um, directly connected to how we look after each other, that may be an oversight. You know, that may be something that isn't um, explicitly attended to on a team. And if that's the case, then it may, it may provide um, an opportunity for staff to, to not have the attention to their stress levels or the productivity levels be attended to. So I think it's a you know, it doesn't have to be a long drawn out process, but I think it is important to come back and say, okay, in this time of crisis or COVID-19, we're still here to do this. 
we're still trying to get to this place. We have to take a little detour and a little route. What does that look like? Do we all agree with what that looks like? Do you have questions and concerns? So we still value these things. Did we miss any of those values? You know, we value collaboration, we value communication, connectivity, high levels of achievement, but maybe we also now value wellness and connection and care for each other and extended communication. And then if we look at those values, the next element is commitment. So what are we willing to do to live those values? And those those are the components where often in, in my sessions, you see that people are, are willing to be team players and support each other. And But I think we're going to see things like we're willing to look after each other and, and take care of one another and be okay with a range of emotions or learn to be okay with um, a focus on, on wellness, self-care. So those are some of the, you know, if you extend that out, without having the conversations, there's a lot of assumptions. You know, there's a lot of assumptions around um, people's perceptions. When you take the perceptions out and, and you talk about them and you make them a part of your team, it's very intentional. And I think that's the biggest thing between the connections of the foundational statements and, and teaming is the intentionality. It's kind of like a garden. Teams don't just grow and um, get bigger and better without close attention. So this would be a perfect time to come back and say, okay, team, here we are. Here are our statements. Here are the things that we're, we're trying to accomplish and do together and how we're going to look after each other. Do we have some changes? And then as a leader, if there are changes and adjustments, because they a lot of times don't know the how. Then we move into that place of, okay, we're going to consistently attend to growing our team's skills in areas where we haven't had to grow them before. Um, I think it's something really simple is if you have a team that has both men and women, how do we help the, the men and women understand the different ways that stress and emotion present on the team? You know, And being okay with either helping or not helping or engaging or not engaging. Without those conversations, there's lots of pieces that come into play around assumptions and perceptions, and, and then people draw their own conclusions and tell their own stories. And that may or may not be what's actually going on. So you, you start to see that divisiveness on the team. And not out of anybody's um, intent or malintent, it's all around just not having a clear understanding about how we support each other. And sometimes we, as we're saying, we don't have the skills. So it's, it is a skill. Team is a skill. And you have to build that skill um, and focus on things that move your team towards being, you know, high productive members who are fully aware of, of each other, how to support each other, and how to move forward together. So the example you bring up resonates in a way that it it hits that heart of, of we th- I think we've taken advantage of our own nurturing nature or taking it for granted that as educators, we're nurturers and we are going to look after one another. But in, in doing so, in getting to that place where we can truly talk about the difference between how men and women process emotions or how a stress affects us or, you know, putting it on the table of really, this is how I feel when we talk about students who have particular needs. There's a vulnerability in doing that. How do you ensure in those sort of in those sort of sessions in that building of teams that that vulnerability can be honored so that we can move forward with this strong team? 
Well, I think the word vulnerability has been, you know, a, a big, almost a, a word that people introspectively think of as being a negative or a weakness. Brene Brown in her Dare to Lead sessions, she talks a lot about people's perception of vulnerability and the connection to weakness. And I think it, I think when people are on teams and you go through the activities, you'll often see people who are like, I don't want to do this, these kind of fluffy things, right? Um, you know, I was high school trained, so been there. <laughs> but there's also that element of really defining what vulnerable trust means. And vulnerable trust doesn't mean I have to, you know, put my emotions out there and have everybody know every part of my deep um soul and my my thinking it it really does need to be defined uh Lencioni's work in his five dysfunctions of a team i love i love some of his work um the the, the book name itself is a tough one because it really focuses on the negative and i like to focus on the on the positive but you know high functioning teams do need vulnerable trust but he does you know, define vulnerable trust. And I, I've always kind of gone back to this because it gives people on teams the freedom to be able to go, oh, that's what they mean. I don't have to bear my soul here. So it's based on the idea that people who can admit the truth about themselves do not engage in the kind of political behavior that wastes everyone's time and energy and more importantly, makes the accomplishment of results unlikely. Interesting. And what does that actually mean? I, I love the way he gives some examples because it is this, the ability of being honest and saying things like, I was wrong. I made a mistake. I need help. Um, you know, you're better at that than I am. Gee, sorry, I didn't mean to do that. So vulnerable trust is key for, for teams because they need to get to a place where they know it's not, you know, wearing their heart on their sleeves and um, being open and vulnerable in a very personal way is is being vulnerable to the team and being able to be in a space where people can admit that it's okay to be able to ask for assistance and ask for help, admit their mistakes, um, feel like when they are maybe not at their best, that it's okay to be not at your best. And the idea of putting ourselves at the risk um, of being vulnerable for the good of others, that's not a natural place, but it's a place that as a team we can we can get to if we all have the same understanding of what vulnerable trust is. I do um, like to share that vulnerable trust requires activities that allow the team to be able to get to know each other at, at a deeper level. And that deeper level doesn't have to be personal, it can be professional as well. But when I know around things like um, personality inventories, areas that um, allow us to say, oh, this is how a person's going to react in conflict, or this is what a person looks like when they're, you know, excited and content. Um, those types of characteristics are important for a team because the way we meet each other in the team space requires us to be able to have a deeper understanding of the personality. That's basically what vulnerable trust is. So if I am a calm, collected um, person most of the time, 
and this is what excitement looks like for me, you may wonder if I ever get excited about anything, right? Where someone who is excited all the time and consistently is in that space of, of heightened excitement because that's who they are, other people might perceive that as being overbearing or, you know, overcharged. Well, you take those two different folks looking at each other, they could draw their own conclusions about what the other person is or isn't like or how they interact together. And in absence of actually having a conversation about, okay, well, when you see me like this, this is what you get. Or when I'm heightened, I even, when I get excited, I even get more. But when I'm mad, I shut down. Those are great tools for teams to understand about each other. And that's the, you know, those are examples of the kind of vulnerable trust that need to be there so that we can better interact with each other. And when we talk about a, a situation like COVID-19, there's going to be lots of people who, who are experiencing and have different stress responses. So some of those areas um, might be, be surfaced with team. And I think it's going to be really important for teams to be able to acknowledge that, okay, this is, this person has stated that they're okay, even though they don't seem okay, but they're okay or they need this from us. So that vulnerable trust is, is going to be really important. Other than having the opportunity to cultivate that, we tend to take it to a negative place. And as teams move it to that space of um, judging, criticizing, um, telling our own stories about why, that, that might be the space or place for that person at that point in time. And this yes might sound a little bit more, um, you know, floral and a lot of teams like to get into, but at the same time, it is the one thing that I found through all the teams that I've worked with that has grounded us. When you can really get to know each other and understand how each other ticks, you're good. And you know when to check in and you know when to not check in. You know how to build up um, elements of your team and what they need and what different skills to be able to practice with them. So trust is just one. There are so many other um, components around effective teams. And those are those are also areas that need to be cultivated. But the foundation is trust, as we all know. Amber, you brought up conflict in, in your discussion there. And I know that like vulnerability, conflict is one of those terms that often is viewed as negative. Um, how do vulnerability and conflict exist in team dynamics? And, and how can we relate that notion of conflict back to the foundations of purpose and function? Well, I think conflict is, a, is another key. It's like trust. Conflict is, you know, in, in Lindsay Young's work, conflict is the next level to be attended to by teams because people view conflict as a negative thing all the time. And a lot of us are not comfortable with conflict. So it's really, you know, coming to that place of defining what conflict looks like on your team. And when we, when we define conflict as, an, as a space where we are willing to go to generate new creative ideas, that makes it very different than I'm entering into an unsafe space or an argument. So conflict is... Um, is an element with teams that I think when I've been spending time working with my teams, it, we do conflict norming. So, so how do we engage in appropriate conflict? Um, how do we respect people's boundaries and safety when it comes to, to conflict? 
you know, um, if you come from a background where your your family supper table is, you know, a, a conflicted space and energetic, and everybody likes to argue with everybody, and it's who can argue the best to get their point, and they all leave and after supper, and it's been a great conversation. That's a very different view of conflict than if you are in a home where there's actually a tremendous amount of conflict or or violence or that space where conflict feels very awful. So, you know, we all bring with us to the table our, our backgrounds. So if you take those two situations where you've got two people at the table, one person who loves to argue and the other one feels like, oh, please don't argue, then you end up in a in a place where we don't have any we don't have any parameters around how we play this conflict game, right? So conflict norming is really an interesting tool with teams where you can talk about, okay, our individual level of conflict is here, scale of one to 10. This is the conflict model that we are going to adopt to help us resolve conflict. And that model can be what we do together, what we do as partners, what we do as individuals, when we need help, when we need mediation. So there's lots of pieces around conflict that can be attended to in advance of having those team conflicts. But it's also spinning conflict to the place of being a positive. You know, you don't work through problems by everybody agreeing. You work through problems by gaining a deeper understanding of what the problem is and feeling conflicted working through that together and arriving at a new space together. So those elements of uh, conflict, you know, if we're to pull them back to team, teams not only need to build the trust, but they also need to navigate because not everybody gets along all the time on a team. I think I've ever worked on one where everything has been, you know, rainbows and harmony all the time. So those are really ele elements that, uh, that need to be attended to. And I think right now, there's going to be lots of people who are dealing with lots of conflict. Um, you know, if we look at just the state of affairs, lots of people are out of work. You know, that itself causes conflict around the things that they can or cannot do, provide or not provide, or even the way they feel about themselves, their workspace, and what they have to go, you know, go home to and deal with when they are going back and forth. So conflict around safety conflict around how do I how do I look after my my aging parents and my children at home while I'm trying to work full time. You know, there's lots of pieces that I think are going to be coming into play in the fall where staff will have turmoil and that conflict will definitely be there internally and, and more than likely that will come through on on teams as well. So really as a leader it's how you how you navigate that conflict in a team environment. But this goes back to what I was mentioning before around cultivating skill. We, if we don't take the time as leaders to cultivate these types of skills, people default to the skills that they that they have in the context that they know. And this is just a new territory. It's not that people's skills aren't aren't good and they aren't honed. We're all adults and we've made it to whatever point in our life where we are by using our skills. But you put people onto teams, and, and now we've got a little bit of a different reality around how we navigate each other. It's almost like we have a new family, and when you address these pieces, lowers the anxiety level, and people know that, you know what, I know how to navigate the people I have to spend the majority of my day with or I'm trying to accomplish my work with together. So 
the uh, team building to me has always been near and dear because once you get that level of, of connectivity with people, like you just soar and no one person expects everyone else to do their job on the team. And it really becomes a collective collaborative space of working together to make sure that you're headed doing what you say you're doing with your mission and headed in the direction where you're going with your vision together. And um, one person stumbles, the other pick it up. And that level of team is, uh, is just the most fascinating environment to work in. I always think about people who've maybe been on a, a really high, a highly effective team or very harmonious team or a fantastic sports team. There's a sense of belonging that comes like no, no other space. And we will do whatever you need to, to make sure that the people you're with are okay and that you're getting the, the work that you're passionate about done together. So I do believe that there'll be some, some need for people to be able to come back to that team and, and get those feelings back in a, in a reality. And where I've sat here fascinated listening to you making the connections between sports teams and school teams and the experiences that we bring and moving from the the theoretical, I, I call it theoretical, but the function and purpose, the mission and vision to the actual enactment to those commitments and the idea that as a team, we're going to move forward. And it's kind of that no man left behind sort of sort of feeling in that sense of belonging. Um, any final words that you want to share around belonging, wellness, team dynamics? I know we've talked about team a lot and all the different dynamics and the emotions and the feelings and caring and attending, but it's interesting to know too, that these are elements that are actually embedded in, in a lot of our standards as leaders, as system leaders, you, you always see that you know, clear purpose and direction, mission and visioning, attending to to team, like those are elements that have been uh, required of leaders, um, school leaders, system leaders, teacher leaders from the time that we start to do this work. And yet there aren't very many places that teach us how to do that. And I think that for me is a, is one of the biggest areas that, that I found going through is that it kept being an expectation and I, in my younger years of leadership, I kept trying to follow different models and figure out the why. And when it finally worked and it finally clicked, I understood the why because you can really accomplish a lot. You can meet your your system mandates. You can attend to all the goals you want to. You can, you know, attend to your, your professional standards and your, your system leader standards um, by connecting and working through together and you know, that's one thing that I have to say with Jigsaw Learning, that whole focus on collaboration and attention to the important things that people can do together and the places that we can take people and move people and all for the environment of, of students. This is just another one of those those elements of, of collaboration that we don't we don't really get good at unless we, we practice and we're all reaching for different tools on how to do it. And I hope that you know, you find a few things in here that might be beneficial or at least spark some, you know, some interest. If, if you if you do, let me know. There's, uh, you know, our contact information is always there on the Jigsaw Learning website. But 
I think it's really, um, it's really interesting just to sometimes do some self-reflection about how am I as a leader going to get through this new reality? You're going to need a team and you're going to need each other to be able to do it and move forward. And if you're, if you're reflecting like, oh, you know, I guess such a great team, then I'm awesome. You could probably, you know, coach me in a variety of areas and give me some more tools and tricks too. But if you're sitting back going, oh, everybody's so disjointed and I don't know how I'm going to pull all this together to get all these things done. then sometimes just coming back to that basic place of, gee, maybe I need to have a look at uh, those foundational statements in a new reality. And, and that might help um, get your teams grounded again for the great work that they're going to have to do moving into a very interesting year coming up in September. A number of my former colleagues have reached out to you and uh, invited you into their their schools as they've taken on roles as new leaders or moved into new buildings. And I know that one of the things that they appreciate about you is your ability to include them in the process alongside their staff so that they are, are building that culture with them. I think it is important sometimes that leaders have the opportunity to be participants because um, when you lead this kind of work from a principal district leader, team leader perspective, you don't get to be a participant and be able to sit with your staff and have the conversations about what your why is and what your values are and the things that you're willing to commit to as a part of the team. Sometimes, not all the time. Sometimes there is the perception that when the, the leader um, engages in this process, that there are some items that are already predetermined, or there's um, some thinking that has um, maybe been, uh, it's going to be influenced. And why do we even engage in this? Because it's just going to be written how we want, how, how they want it to be. You know, it eliminates those opportunities for people to, to have the perception that there's any sort of, uh, you know, influence into the process if the principal is, or the system leader or department leader is just a part of their team and struggling with their staff to work through all of these elements together. Um, you know, just kind of like take your hat off at the door and just be with, 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 your, with your staff and your team. And that's really hard to do as a leader to lead the process and participate in. Well, Amber, I I have gained much insight listening to you, and I've heard you speak on this topic a number of times, and I learn just a little bit more from you each time you share. One of the things that I appreciate about you as a leader is how calm you come across. <laughs> you just have that ability to take a room and just, okay, here's where we are now, and now how are we going to move forward? So I thank you very much for taking the time to share this today because I know you have been incredibly busy engaging in re-entry plans with our partners, but I appreciate that you're willing to share this message with those who might be looking for a little bit of guidance. Well, you're welcome. And, uh, you know, we talk about supporting our partners, but I also feel like every team that I engage with, uh, we enter to some new dynamic and I learn some new skills and it gives me the opportunity to make some, some new acquaintances and some long-term friendships as well. So it's just been a pleasure to work with those who I have with already. And uh, I may be able to work with a few more as we uh, continue to do this work.